Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Famed for its cafe culture, Parisians enjoying their Friday evening were sitting ducks for the terrorists. On a mild November night, this is how three hours of carnage began to unfold. These were the first victims of six simultaneous attacks. A masked gunman opened fire with an automatic weapon, shooting through windows at a cafe and restaurant in the same street. I heard some noise when I was at the bistro, which is where I work. I got out, I started running. I was looking for where the sound was coming from. I figured out it was coming from Le Carillon and Le Petit Cambodge. I arrived at the scene and there were lots of dead bodies on the ground. Lots of dead bodies. Lots of dead bodies. By now, the number of dead had already reached double figures. There were reports of other shootings. But if there was any doubt, Paris was under siege. The sound of a massive explosion unleashed to a global TV audience watching France play Germany left nobody in any doubt. A second blast threw the crowd into panic. And France's President François Hollande, who'd been at the game to be driven away to a secure location. The game carried on all the way to the nine minutes. As, as far as we were aware, it was... I mean, even though we were getting news reports, we thought it was something trivial. We thought it was a hoax or a, something that had gone wrong. We didn't realise the full extent of it until we got outside. Spectators flooded onto the open space. Well, um, I'd like to welcome you today. Uh, obviously, I'm not Tom Brown. Uh, this is uh, Al Fadi filling in for Tom Brown, and I have with me today a fabulous, fabulous guest, my dear brother Sam Shimon, um, who is a uh, fantastic uh, Christian apologist who invested uh, most of his um, ministry life basically refuting uh, the teachings of Islam uh, that uh, leads souls to basically the hellfire. So, uh, Sam, thank you so much for uh, being able to join me here today. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for those accolades. They're undeserved, but <clears throat> all glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also beg the Lord Jesus Christ to bless you and me and perfect our unity and the bond of the Holy Spirit so we speak truth without error and do it for the glory and majesty of Christ so we can see every Muslim knee bow and every Muslim tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because that's their only hope of salvation. So may Amen. the Lord be pleased to use you and I for his glory in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. And to my audience, obviously today, uh, from the clip that you heard uh, in our introduction, we will be talking about the recent ISIS incident in Paris. We are taking a break right now. When we come back, we'll kick this uh, show off. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And with me here, uh, my dear friend and brother in the Lord, uh, Sam Shimon. And as I mentioned before the break, that uh, today we are talking about the uh, recent incident or attack, terror attack by ISIS in France. And Sam, um, you are a uh, Christian apologist who uh, deals a lot with the uh, teachings of Islam and refuting any... Uh, false claims by uh, the uh, Islamic teaching against Christianity. And one of those teachings as well that you and I know uh, is this um, idea that Islam is a religion of peace. Uh, please tell us uh, from your own research, from your own understanding and explorations of the Quran and the Hadith and the Sunnah and the commentaries, as someone who invested his career in the ministry to study uh, this area, is it true that Islam is a religion of peace. And I ask this, uh, even though I'm a former Muslim, but I want people to hear it from your perspective. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have to qualify my answer. The answer is going to be yes and no. And what do I mean by that? Islam will teach peace and tolerance when the Muslims are in the minority. <clears throat> and you know this fully well. Uh, if you look at the life of Muhammad, because the Quran says, <clears throat> and by the way, uh, forgive me for my voice because... <clears throat> I'm starting to lose it. So by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray it keeps up. But you and I both know, and you know this better than me, because you used to be a practicing Muslim, that the Quran sets Muhammad forth as an example to emulate. And you can find that in chapter 33, verse 21 of the Quran, and 68, verse 4. So if a Muslim wants to be pleasing to Allah, he has to imitate Muhammad. Well, when you look at the life of Muhammad, when Muhammad began preaching in Mecca for the first 13 years, he was outnumbered by the unbelievers, and the power was in their hands. And he was a small minority. <clears throat> he had maybe no more than 120 followers of that. And therefore, he realized that he could not mount an offensive, attack them, and subjugate them. So the tone of Muhammad was one of, turn the other cheek, <clears throat> tolerate their unbelief, tolerate their criticism, live at peace with them as much as possible. But then you and I both know that when he then settled in Medina and became head of state, and he amassed a larger group of Muslims, then the message changed from tolerate the unbelievers and entrust them to the fate of Allah to now you can attack them. And then when he conquered the Hejaz, the Arabian Peninsula, then he gave his final marching orders, and his final marching orders was <clears throat> go and spread the message of Islam until you subjugate the entire world for Allah and his messenger. 
So depending on the circumstances, if the Muslims happen to be outnumbered, they will preach peace and tolerance and coexistence until they amass enough numbers and weaponry to then assault the unbelievers, force them to become Muslims, or in the case of Jews and Christians, retain their religious identity but pay jizya so they can feel themselves subdued and humiliated. And that's when Islam becomes peaceful in that if you accept the rule of Islam, then sure, you can live under the rule of Islam as second- or third-rate citizens, and the Muslims won't harm you. Now, if the Muslims are outnumbered, then that, too, will be one of message of tolerance and peace. But you and I know what happens when they become the majority. And you see that in different parts of the world, do you not? <clears throat> For example, what do, you, what do you see in Saudi Arabia? You see that non-Muslims are subjugated, non-Muslims are treated as second, third-rate citizens. You can't have churches, you can't worship Jesus, you can't carry a Bible, correct? Absolutely. But what do you see Muslims preaching in America? It's tolerance. Uh, we're here to live together, and uh, we welcome anybody from all faith. So is that coincidental, or are they following the model of Muhammad? Um, of course, uh, they are following the model of the Prophet. In fact, maybe you can help me understand this. You come from a Muslim background. Let me show you what the Quran says in two different places, because if you don't know the history, the background of the Quran, you won't make sense out of much of its content. Now, notice what it says in chapter 8, verse 61. Notice the message here. Speaking to Muhammad and his followers, when Muhammad had just migrated to Medina and became head of state, and he was at war with the unbelievers, because the unbelievers got fed up of his raids. Many people don't know that Muhammad and his, and his followers were marauders. They were bandits. They would raid caravans of unsuspecting uh, <clears throat> non-Muslims. So now notice what 861 says. And if they incline to peace, you also incline to it and trust in Allah. Lo, he, even he is the hearer, the knower. So it's saying, look, if they want to be at peace with you and not go to war, the Muhammad accepted. But hold on. 47.35 says something completely different. So be not weak, 47.35, same Quran, so be not weak and ask not for peace while you are having the upper hand. Now, so which is it? Should we accept peace if we're Muslims, or should we not accept peace if we have the upper hand? Now, if you know the historical background, we know that it, it's, it's not either or. It again depends on the circumstances. If you don't have enough weaponry or manpower, then you try to seek to be at peace with the opposing side. But notice 47.35 again, 47.35. You do not be weak nor ask for peace while you're having the upper hand. That's the face of Islam. <clears throat> and you know, Sam, it's interesting because context is important here. If you look at 860, just right before 861, it says, make ready against them all you can of power. But then it proceeded to say, but if you don't have enough, then make peace, basically. Exactly. So that's what it is. To answer your question, it depends on their situation, circumstances. If they're outnumbered, yes, let's, let's get along, let's preach peace. But when they're having the upper hand, and they're uppermost, then it's subjugate them. And then if you accept living as second- or third-rate citizens, as non-Muslims, then, yeah, you can have relative peace always having the sword at your neck, so that if you do something contrary to their demands, off with your neck. <clears throat> so that's the face of Islam, that's the teaching of Islam, and non-Muslims have to be aware of these different stages of jihad, different stages of implementing the rule of Islam universally, because the hadith is quite clear. Muhammad told the Jews 
the entire earth belongs to Allah and his messenger. And then Muhammad tells them, because of that, I seek to expel you from Medina, which eventually Umar did when he expelled all the Jews from Medina, which was formerly called Yathrib. <clears throat> and uh, you and I know now till this day, uh, there isn't a single church in the Arabian Peninsula, actually in Saudi. In fact, some of the Saudi clerks were so upset when they heard about churches being built or allowed in Kuwait and also in uh, Dubai, even though these are two sovereign nations, they said, well, the Prophet says the Arabian Peninsula, that included you also. And therefore, they were upset with that. Well, if you're tuning in, uh, you're listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk uh, 1360 KPXQ. I am Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown, and with me here, the fabulous uh, Sam Shimon. And we're talking about the recent attack, uh, terror attack in Paris by ISIS. So, Sam, let me ask you this. People say ISIS doesn't represent, and when I say people, really, it's both sides. Uh, Muslims, you can call them nominal, moderate Muslims, or whatever. And then you have the others, uh, Westerners, who have no clue what Islam teaches. They say, well, ISIS really hijacked Islam. What would be the response to that? Well, if they hijacked Islam, they did an excellent job of hijacking it because they have tons of Quranic verses and narrations attributed to Muhammad <clears throat> that they can appeal to to justify the things they do. So if they're going to accuse ISIS of not representing Islam, then these groups, whether moderate Muslims or non-Muslims who want to try to appease the Muslims, they're going to have to deal with the plethora of Quranic verses, narrations attributed to Muhammad, as well as classical Islamic scholarship. <clears throat> ISIS does not exist in a vacuum. ISIS could only exist and get the support of countless number of Muslims if they had something that they could appeal to that was authoritative. And they are appealing to the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad. So you can't just brush them aside. You're going to have to deal with the evidences that they set forth, the passages that they quote, the hadith that they bring forth. So let's deal with their evidence. Let's see. Are they misquoting? I dare say they're not misquoting. They're quoting in context. It's the so-called moderate Muslims that are ignoring the <clears throat> immediate overall context of the Quran as well as its historical application. So let's see what evidence they have, these moderate Muslims, and contrast it with the evidence that these terrorists are bringing forth. And let me just go on record and say, there is no such thing as a moderate Islam. There are moderate Muslims, but there's no such thing as moderate Islam. And again, let me further nuance and qualify that. You can only have a moderate Islam when the Muslims are outnumbered. But when the Muslims are uppermost, then the true face of Islam is, is showed. And then you will see the true spirit of Islam, the true spirit of Muhammad, which was unbelievers must be subjugated to the rule of Islam, whether you like it or not. And again, less people say I'm just speaking out of my own opinion or because I'm an Islamophobe. What do these so-called moderate Muslims do with chapter 9, verse 29 of the Quran? Chapter 9, verse 29 clearly says, fight those. Now notice what it does not say. And for the life of me, these Muslims want to accuse the Quran of being unclear. And it's we Christians who actually believe the Quran is clear enough that we can get its point. For example, in chapter 9, verse 29, it says, fight those who do not believe in Allah, <clears throat> nor in the last day. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say fight those who fight you physically. Fight those who try to kill you. Fight those who try to oppress you. Fight those who want to take away your land. doesn't say that, right? That's correct. And the word in Arabic actually, qatilu, meaning to the point of death. You got it. Because when you're fighting them, you're not fighting in a boxing match. If I were to say to you, look, uh, my brother, 
Let's go fight in the ring. Now, obviously, <clears throat> that means we're not going to end up beheading each other or stabbing each other to death because the context is we're boxing, and hopefully we're wearing protective gear so we don't harm each other irreparably. When you're talking about fighting in this context, you're talking about fighting in the battlefield with weapons, which at that time would have been swords, spears, catapults, arrows. So you're fighting to the death. And what are the grounds for the Muslims to fight others? Because they don't believe like Muslims do. Because I don't believe in Allah of the Quran. I don't believe in the last day of the Quran. Nor do I forbid what Allah and his messenger have prohibited. Nor do I believe in the so-called religion of truth. Because in that context, the religion of truth happens to be Islam. As a Christian, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth incarnate. He is the only perfect and reliable revelation of who God is to mankind. Any message that contradicts the truth of Christ is a false message, and Islam contradicts the message of Christ, therefore it cannot be true. But the Quran says it is true, and because I reject its truth claims, then the Muslims must fight me until when? Because it says fight them even if they're the people of the book, until they pay the jizya and feel themselves subdued or humiliated. So, I mean, how much clearer could the Quran be? The Quran itself claims to be a, a Quran in Arabic for men of understanding, a clear Quran Amen. in clear Arabic so that you may know. Well, here the Quran clearly says, even in English, fight those who don't believe like you. Amen. So what ISIS is doing is fighting those who don't believe like Allah and his messenger taught for people to believe. And they're even fighting other Muslims who fail to uphold the dictates of the Quran because according to them, if you set aside any of the commands of the Quran, then you're not truly Muslim and your blood is lawful to be shed. Well, Sam, we're approaching a, a, a break right now and uh, we will pick it up uh, after the break. And thank you so much definitely for bringing all these excellent points and we will definitely continue this discussion. But then, as if things couldn't get any worse, it became apparent a major situation was unfolding at one of Paris's best-known music venues. Security units surrounded the Bataclan Theatre. Inside, the 1,500-seat hall was a sellout. Music lovers had come to watch the American band Eagles of Death Metal, this mobile phone footage was filmed just before the attack. The gunmen stormed the hall, shooting in the air, claiming their actions were revenge for France's intervention in Syria. The concert had started about half an hour before. We heard firecracker noises and we turned around and saw two young people. Two young people, well, we were a bit far away, so two people with machine guns firing into the crowd. So we well, we're back again um, with uh, my host, uh, Sam Shamoun. Um, uh, I should say my guest, Sam Shamoun. I'm your host, uh, Al-Fadi, filling in for uh, Tom Brown. And this is Konania uh, Radio, uh, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And we're talking about the recent ISIS attack in France. And uh, Sam, uh, before the break, we you were talking and you made a compelling argument that uh, the Quran has enough evidence in it that uh, people normally, when they read it, they understand exactly what is meant behind it. Yet it keeps baffling me how uh, sometimes the so-called moderate Muslims, uh, nominal Muslims, uh, Westerners that uh, try to uh, use political correctness uh, claim that uh, really these things 
things are taken out of context or ISIS have taken things, uh, uh, basically hijacked Islam. And I'm going to give people just a quick uh, survey here, just very quick survey, uh, chapter 2, verse 191 to 193 in the Quran. It says, and kill them wherever you find them. Very clear. Uh, chapter 2, verse 244, then fight in the cause of Allah and know that Allah hears and knows all things. Chapter 2, verse 216, fighting is prescribed for you. Chapter 356, as to those who reject faith, I will punish them with terrible agony in this world and in the hereafter. Notice, in this world and then in the hereafter. Chapter 4, verse 74, let those fight in the way of Allah who sell the life of this world for the other. Whoso fight in the way of Allah, be he slain or be he victorious, on him we shall bestow a vast reward. I mean, and the list can go on and on and on. And, and I love uh, chapter 4, verse 95, when it says, not equal are those of the believers, meaning the Muslims, who sit at home, basically, except those who are disabled or have excuses, basically, not to fight, and those who strive hard to fight. In other words, there is unequality in the sight of Allah between who will fight for his cause and who will not. And this is a, a verse that's talking about Muslims here. In fact, I wanted to add to that theme when you're talking about even among Muslims, not all are equal because those who <clears throat> perform jihad are greater <clears throat> in rank before Allah than those who, who refuse to engage in jihad. But you can also extend that to what the Quran and Hadith teach concerning Muslims and unbelievers. The Quran and the Hadith are quite clear. Muslims and unbelievers are not equal in that Muslims are held and higher esteem, their blood considered to be much more precious and valuable than the life and the blood of non-Muslims. And let me prove that. I'm going to quote some narrations deemed to be good <clears throat> by Muslim scholars, not by Christians. And you know these Hadith collections. And I do encourage your audience who is listening to delve with greater depth on the source of, the source of Islam so that they can be familiar with this information and use it as they witness to Muslims and also educate non-Muslims, particularly the Church, regarding the challenge of Islam. I don't want to say the threat of Islam. And the reason why I don't want to say that is because we know that King Jesus lives. We're not just secular humanists. We're talking about the Islamic agenda. We are Christians committed to the Lordship of Christ. And we know that Christ is risen, the tomb is empty, and he rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And eventually he'll bring Islam under his feet for his glory. Not, notice I didn't say Muslims, per se. Islam, because I make a distinction between Islam and Muslims. Muslims, for the most part, have been taken captive by the deceit of Islam, Amen. by the spirit of Antichrist, and they need to be saved. They need Jesus. So our desire is that Christ will use this to bring Muslims out of this system, but inevitably Islam will fall before the feet of Jesus because Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. So I hope that we'll encourage the Church, embolden the Church to pray fast and witness the Muslims so they get saved and be brought out of this Antichrist system. Now that said, because I know time is fleeting, tell me what you think of these narrations attributed to Muhammad, Sunan Nasai, on the Book of Fighting, Jihad. It was narrated that Abdullah bin Amr said, Abdullah bin Amr said, killing a believer is more grievous before Allah than the extinction of the whole world. Did you catch it? Yep. Now, uh, by the way, a believer here is not Jews and Christians. It's a Muslim. This is brought up more clearly in Jami' al-Tirmidhi, on the book on blood money, Jami' al-Tirmidhi narrated Abdullah bin Amr. The Prophet said, the world ceases to exist 
is less significant to Allah than killing a Muslim man. Did you catch that? Yeah. And now, finally, let me give you one more. <clears throat> Sunan Nasai, again, the book of fighting jihad, it was narrated from Abdullah bin Amr that the Prophet said, the extinction of the whole world is less significant before Allah than killing a Muslim man. So now, if you're a Muslim, and let's say you're a member of ISIS, and you read these narrations, what will your view be regarding the infidels, the non-Muslims? Do they matter? Of course not. So then, how can these moderate Muslims, or these liberals, or secularists claim that these Muslims have hijacked Islam when you find such narrations in the authentic sources of Islam? So ISIS is not going to go away that easily if you don't confront them on their understanding of the Quran and the Hadith, as well as on what classical Islamic scholarship has taught concerning jihad and the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims, you're going to have to deal with their evidence. You're going to have to deal with their citations. You're going to have to deal with their sources. And frankly, I don't see how they're going to deal with this evidence when the evidence is overwhelmingly in their favor, not against them. <clears throat> Excellent point. And, um, and uh, something really people need to think about, ISIS is actually killing so-called Muslims. In fact, ISIS issued a fatwa declaring the entire Muslims of Saudi, unless they join them, to be equal to infidels. So they are taking uh, an approach of what the, so the so-called the Salafis, uh, taking it all the way back to the generation of the Prophet of Islam. And why don't you fill us in a little bit, uh, uh, Sam, on this Salafi idea? Yeah, well, there are traditions. Again, when I say traditions, some Muslims will say, well, why aren't you quoting the Quran? Well, for the most part, the majority of Muslims don't follow the Quran alone. And like I said, the Quran needs to be put in its historical context. Much of that historical context is not found in the Quran. For example, there are statements in the Quran that you don't, if you don't have recourse to what is called the Sunnah or, you know, the Sirah, the Hadith, etc., terms that the audience need to be familiar with, and glory to God, we have websites that can equip them, equip them the site I write, write for, Answering Islam, answeringislam.net. But coming back to that, <clears throat> according to the narrations, Muhammad is reported to have said, and this is found in the Sahihain. You know what that is, Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari. Bukhari Muslim, the two most authentic collection of narrations. He said that the best generation of Muslims happens to be his generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that. So those three generations, the first three generations of Muslims are called Salaf, right? The predecessors and their followers. So if you want to know true Islam, how to implement authentic Islam, you have to go back and read the sources that chronicle the lives of Muhammad, his companions, the generation after them, and the generation after that. Now, with that said, can I ask you a question? Because you come from that part of the world. <clears throat> Is, were Muhammad's predecessors, Muhammad's companions, peace-loving people? Or were they actually, let me say it in a way where I don't become unnecessarily offensive. We're going to say bloodthirsty uh, jihadists. But were they actually warmongers? Can you point to any of the successors of Muhammad, the so-called rightly guided caliphs, who were not involved in spreading Islam through military expeditions, who are not involved in killing infidels, who are not involved in killing apostates? Do you find any? Absolutely not. They all expanded the territory of Islam, starting from Abu Bakr all the way until Ali. So you mean not one of them taught peaceful coexistence and tolerance? Not one of them? 
of if they want it to be true to the teaching of their prophet and the Quran, then they must fulfill that, which and is get, did, expanding did Muslims, the territory. Did Muslims kill apostates or, or those whom they deemed were hypocrites and not Muslim enough? Absolutely. Ali himself not only killed other Muslims, he even burned other Muslims. Wow. And Ali, by the way, just for the audience so they know, Ali is not just some, some average Muslim, right? I mean, in fact, to this day, there's a division among Sunnis and Shiites over him, is there not? Absolutely. He is the uh, first imam for the Shia Muslims. Wow. So you're telling me Muhammad's own companions, those who knew him best, who loved him more than their own lives, were willing to die and kill for him, these people who succeeded him were anything but peaceful, but killed other Muslims who were not Muslim enough, according to their own understanding, and even among the so-called rightly guided caliphs, they even fought amongst each other, correct? Wasn't Ali opposed by another companion of Muhammad, Muawiyah ibn Abu Sufyan? That's correct, and he was even opposed by the second wife of Muhammad, Aisha. Wow, so Aisha's own wife went to war with Ali, and not only was Ali a rightly guided caliph, supposedly, he's Muhammad's first cousin and son-in-law, and yet Muhammad's child bride Aisha went to war with him. Amazing. Yeah. So how can someone tell me with a straight face that ISIS is not Islamic when Muhammad and his own followers were killing and murdering one another left and right, and you find anything but peace in the reins of the so-called rightly guided caliphs? In fact, the fourth caliph... I'm sorry, the third caliph, because the fourth caliph was Ali. The third caliph, Uthman ibn Affan, who murdered him? Um, uh, Uthman was murdered, basically, by uh, other Muslims, basically. Not Christians, not Jews. Muslims? That's correct. And wow. even, even Omar. Uh, so all of this goes back to show you that the very roots of Islam is based on bloodshed, violence, murder, and deceit. And if you're going to follow Muhammad and the first three generations, you can't be better than them. If you have a moderate Muslim who's peaceful and tolerant and truly believes with all his heart that Islam is a message of peace, then that person is actually better than Muhammad and his followers because they were anything but peaceful and tolerant. So you cannot be a Muslim and be better than the founder of Islam, Muhammad. That cannot happen. That's correct. And well, if um, uh, you're listening to Koinonia on talk, uh, Faith Talk uh, 1360 KBXQ, I'm uh, your uh, host, Al Fadi, and with me, with, here, uh, with me here is uh, my dear brother, Sam Shimona. We're talking about the uh, recent ISIS attack. Uh, we will be taking a break, and when we come back, we'll continue this interesting discussion. Terrorists had started killing hostages. Elite police units were forced to move quickly. One witness said the gunmen were silent and calm and shot people randomly. They would reload and carry on. The attackers in the hall, reportedly three of them, then blew themselves up when the police raid began. Well, Sam, 
uh, we heard here that uh, the attackers were very calm and they were just shooting people like nothing. Um, you've already laid out a, an excellent case about the teaching found in the Quran. And uh, we keep talking about the fact that there are those that wants us to believe that uh, ISIS have hijacked basically uh, Islam. Then I'm going to share something with you right now, Sam, and I want you to comment on it. It was very disturbing uh, to look, for instance, at chatters on uh, social media from other Muslims. For instance, here is a tweet that says, This isn't a lone wolf attack, but a battalion of lions roaring into the heart of France. Hashtag France, basically. Uh, another one uh, basically uh, said that while the uh, I'm, I'm looking for a uh, the uh, tweet here, it says Islamic State, it's only the beginning. Another one says all praise is due to Allah. I mean, wh why do you think we are getting those kind of uh, tweets if Islam really is a religion of peace and uh, ISIS hijacked Islam? Like I said, and I know I sound like a broken record, but bear with me because it it. It needs to be repeated. We're not fighting a human ideology. This is an ideology that's anchored in the notion that its texts <clears throat> are divinely dictated, not even inspired. You being a former Muslim know this, that we believe the Bible is inspired through men that God raised up and instructed by the Spirit, fully incorporating their personalities in the production of the Holy Scriptures. Muslims, on the other hand, believe, at least as far as the Quran is concerned, that it's divinely dictated. It has nothing to do with the personality of Muhammad. And then, when you add to the fact that they believe that Muhammad never spoke except by inspiration, that means even the statements attributed to him, they too are from Allah, in that it was Allah who guided him in such a way to utter the things that he stated and to act the way he did. Now, when you have an ideology that's anchored and the belief that its core texts come from the Almighty Creator, there is no way that you can defeat this by humans, human means. Because even, let's say, you kill all of ISIS, there's another 10,000, another 20,000, 100,000 Muslims ready to replace them, because they believe that they're fighting in the cause of the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And for them, it's a win-win situation. If you kill them, off to paradise they go, receiving their eternal rewards, where they will be busy deflowering virgins forever, because this is the favor of Allah upon them. And if they defeat you, they take your women, your women folk, your children, and your plunder. So for them, it's a win-win situation, and their ideology is anchored in the belief, this is the will of the Creator, and if I want to make him happy, I have to fight you, I have to hate you, I have to subjugate you by any means necessary. So there's no way you're going to defeat this, humanly speaking. I don't care how many policies France comes up with. I don't care how many policies America comes up with. I don't care how many policies the world comes up with. Using human means and strategies to defeat this giant, you will never defeat it. The only way this giant can be tamed is through the cross and the blood Amen. and the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to preach. I'm speaking the truth. You need to get them to see that this ideology is not from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that they need to turn to Jesus Christ, who is the only perfect revelation of the true God. And once you get them to turn to Christ, all of this hatred... All of this violence, all of this evil that's in their hearts will be tamed, they'll be cured and transformed 
to reflect the glorious Prince of Peace, and then and only then can they live at peace with others, because Jesus came to transform us, to conform to his image, and Christ didn't raise up a sword to slay his enemies. Right? That's why we Christians, I can't go around beheading people who don't believe in Jesus. I preach the gospel, pray they accept it, and if they don't accept it, I then entrust them to Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. He will take care of business when he comes. Until then, I am committed to preaching the gospel of Christ, and I don't use human force to get people to believe it. This is the only solution. There is no other solution. Seriously. <clears throat> Amen. And, you know, Sam, uh, one of the passages that our Lord uh, basically taught uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 41 to 44, and there he says, love your enemies. And that was the verse that turned my heart around and got Amen. me on my knees to accept my Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, with that said, I, would, I want you and my listeners to listen to this quick clip, clip number five. Hocam, terör olayları malum evet. ve saygı duruşu. You're probably wondering what is this. This yeah. is a quick clip from a soccer game that was played in Turkey. And the fans were asked to take a moment of silence. And that was the response. Yelling, screaming, bowing, and saying, Allah Akbar, God is great. That was the moment of silence they decided to do in honor of the victims. Why? They were celebrating the fact that those people were killed. Even the coach of the soccer team was embarrassed and made a statement that this doesn't represent the values of Turkey. Nevertheless, this just shows that how there is this silence, ISIS, basically. We know of the vocal proactive ISIS and active ISIS, but there is also the passive ISIS who are the enablers that harbor in their heart hatred toward others and celebrate those kind of actions. Sam, there is a lot of fear out there especially among the church, which is embarrassing to say. But nevertheless, what would you say to the church? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I wanted to also comment on why they have such hatred. Let me try to kill two birds with one stone, because I know time is fleeting. Now, what would you expect of Muslims who are told in the Quran the following, chapter 58, verse 22? You will not find any people who believe in Allah in the last day making friendship, <clears throat> loving those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, even though they were their fathers, or their sons, or their brothers, or their kindred. For such, Allah has written faith in their hearts and strengthened them with a spirit from Himself, and He will admit them to gardens, we will admit them to gardens, under which rivers flow to dwell therein. Allah is pleased with them and they with Him. They are the party of Allah. Verily, it is the part of Allah that will be successful. Another verse, real quickly, 924. Say, if your fathers, your sons, your brothers, your wives, your kindred, the wealth that you have gained, the commerce in which you, you fear a decline, and the dwellings in which you delight are dearer to you than Allah and His Messenger. If you love these things, even your family members, more than Allah and His Messenger, and you love them more than striving hard and fighting in His cause, jihad fi Allah. And wait until Allah brings about His decision. Allah guides not the people 
who are rebellious, disobedient to Allah. Now, what do you expect Muslims to do when they're confronted with passages that say, you better not love anyone, not even your mother or your father or brothers, nothing, nothing can come ahead of, uh, b- between you and Allah and your love for the messenger and jihad. That's the kind of response you should expect to get. Don't be shocked when Muslims rejoice over the death of infidels because they're told they cannot love anyone that's an infidel. You can't befriend the infidel because Allah hates them. How can you love those whom Allah hates? Allah only loves Muslims and those Muslims who are good. So if Allah only loves these people and you love Allah, you can't love the people that Allah hates. Impossible. Now that said, as far as the church is concerned, the weapons that God has given us are not carnal. They're not fleshly. The Amen. Apostle Paul is quite clear in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. We cannot wage war with Islam using military expeditions, bombs, <clears throat> tanks. That's what the governments do. That's the way the world wages war. The way we wage war is by praying intensely, earnestly praying for the salvation of Muslims, even fasting for them, and asking the Spirit to embolden us to love Jesus more than our own lives so that we can be ambassadors of Christ to the Muslims. We win Muslims by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, by our prayers, by our fasting, and then modeling the Christian life practically, not just giving lip service. In other words, we need more Christians, more churches to pray for Muslims, to evangelize Muslims, and to support ministries to Muslims, ministries that are conducted by men and women of integrity, not ministries that want to compromise the gospel and pervert the gospel and water down the gospel in order to appease Muslims. Let the gospel be offensive and pray that we're not unnecessarily offensive. That's how we win Muslims and win this war against Islam, through the power of the Spirit and the weapons that the Spirit has given us, which are mighty in the heavenly realm to demolish arguments and take every captive thought until it's obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't war like the world does. We don't war like Muhammad did. We war the way Jesus did through the preaching of the gospel, through praying, through fasting, and obeying the will of God. That's what Jesus and his followers taught us. <clears throat> amen, amen. And uh, I just want to direct uh, my listeners to uh, Sam Shimon's blog. It is www.samshamon.com, and it's S-A-M-S-H-A-M-O-U-N.com. Yep. And in there, uh, this is a man of God. He's not going to tell you, but I can assure you that he is one of those people that uh, well worth the support uh, to receive. He is a fighter for the Lord, and he doesn't shy away from telling the truth, and he doesn't water down the gospel. So I encourage you to go to his blog again, www.samshamaun.com. And if you uh, are searching for it and you couldn't find it, just email me directly at Ministries. Sira Ministries at gmail.com. Again, it's Sira, C I R A, Ministries, plural, at gmail.com. And listen to me also on my own show, Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with Al Fadi. Uh, we are approaching uh, our last break here. So uh, you're listening to Konania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And uh, with me here, uh, my guest, uh, my dear brother, uh, Sam Shamon. And when we come back, uh, we'll finish our thoughts on the topic of ISIS and the recent attack in Paris.
Well, welcome back to Konani on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, uh, uh, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown, and uh, with me here, my dear brother uh, in the Lord, uh, Sam Shamon. Sam, uh, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, this was a wonderful, wonderful show, and I appreciate your heart. In one minute, uh, share with us any final thoughts on how people can get a hold of you, uh, if you can. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I pray the Lord will continue to use you and bless you mightily and save you for His glory. I just want to encourage, again, Christians to pray for the various ministries that are reaching Muslims, ministries such as yourself, not ministries that want to water down and compromise the gospel to appease Muslims, ministries that want to preach the gospel with integrity, uncompromisingly, but also trying to be unnecessarily offensive. The gospel is an offense. Let's not add to it. And they can reach me, as you said, by going to that website, www.samshimun.com. They can also find the plethora of articles that I've written by the grace of God on answeringislam.net, also answering-islam.org, and they can find all the shows that I've done over the years with my partner David Wood, Jesus or Muhammad, on YouTube. Go to YouTube, put in my name, Sam Shamoon, and I do highly encourage them to go to David Wood's blog, answeringmuslims.com, answeringmuslims.com, because he's another solid brother who loves the Lord, Amen. and he's got amazing material on this issue of jihad, so we need to study this issue, pray for the Muslims, pray for the Church, and be sold out for Jesus. That's the only hope that Muslims have and we have as a Church <clears throat> until Jesus Christ returns in glory. Amen, come Lord Jesus, sooner than later. Amen, brother. And I just want to close by reminding my audience, uh, we as believers got nothing to fear. Here is what the Apostle Paul told us. Uh, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is with us, who can be against us? And then he later says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he proceeded to tell us, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the presence nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 So thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in to uh, this episode of Koinonia uh, Radio on KPXQ 1360. I'm your host, Al Fadi. Please join me again on my own show, Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with Al Fadi. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you all. <laughs>